From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. We're going to do things a little differently over the summer as so many educators, students, and families take breaks from the routine. Our break from the routine means that instead of the usual interview and expert segment, the next three episodes will showcase audio from various conferences and special guests. A change in format, but not in information. For this episode, we feature a portion of a keynote address I delivered in March 2019 at the Pacific Northwest AER Conference. I loved reconnecting with my Washington State friends and colleagues. To find out more about this organization, please go to aerbvi.org. So this morning I'm going to be sharing some of my own stories. I'm kind of going to be sharing my perspective on some things that aren't necessarily unique to me, but maybe just unique for the for my lens. So um, as was mentioned, I'm the outreach director at the Texas School for the Blind, and this is our outreach team on the screen. There are about 35 of us. Um, but my journey to Texas actually began what feels like a long time ago. So here's some pictures of me with my middle child, Eddie. So um, Eddie, as was mentioned by Sarah, was born with optic nerve hypoplasia, and he was diagnosed at four months of age. And so we went to the pediatrician, and they noticed he wasn't tracking, and um, so they referred us to an ophthalmologist. And we went in, and as with ONH, you dilate the eyes. It's pretty obvious. It's, it doesn't take long to get that diagnosis. Um, in fact, it happened right there in the office. Um, and the doctor turned to me, and I had Eddie, and I had my oldest, who was 18 months old. Um, hadn't even taken my husband, because he was at work, and they were like, oh, it's not a big deal. And, and so we did this, and the, and the doctor stopped, and he said, you know, um, his, uh, his optic nerves are severely diminished. And he goes, do you understand, he said something like, do you understand how handicapped your child is? And I know, right? He gave me an 800 phone number to call and um, sent me on my way. So I went home, you know, and my husband and I are both very like, well, what do we do? What do we do now? Um, we don't think about things too long and, and sort of like, what's next? So we called the 1-800 number and um, it was for, a, we lived in Montana and it was for adult services for the blind. And so they luckily called um, the Montana School for the Deaf and the Blind, and, um, and then they reached out to us. And so that's how we got our first TBI. And she called and she said, uh, she goes, I can tell that your family is different. And I said, why? And she goes, because you called us and we didn't have to find you. What I learned early on was the most important part of early intervention was how we learned to interact and to bond with Eddie. And um, that's, that's what our first TBI did for us. So she said, this is, you know, you have to sort of go into his world and meet him where he's at and give him opportunities to, to engage with you in ways that he can. Because it's, it's, we all know this is a different kind of bonding. And um, I recently learned more about this through, uh, there's a place called the Harvard Center on the Developing Child, um, which just saying that makes me sound smarter than I am, but you should check it out. It's a really cool website. And they talk about this concept of serve and return, where 
we build neurological connections when we put something out there and somebody acts on it back to us. So as a child, um, like Eddie, it might have been making some kind of a sound. You know, we all know when our babies start talking, we say what they say, and then they say it again. But the, neuro the neurons build up when that child is the one that initiates the interaction. So we can talk at these kids all day long, but if it doesn't come from them, that's not when the pathways build up. So um, when you're talking about early intervention and how you interact with our kids, you have to pay attention to how they're engaging with you and then act on that so that they can start learning and building some really important concepts. And I think this, this concept um, can be hard because it looks really different for kids with sensory impairments. And I also think that it's easy to forget that when they go into the school system because then you go on to IEPs and you start setting goals and we're doing all the serving. You know, as educators, we're throwing stuff out there that we want them to do. We're not necessarily building the relationship first and giving them enough opportunities to initiate their own learning. So that's just something that's really t I've taken away from, um, from having my own child who's blind. This is another thing that's going to make me sound like I know more than I do. But I've been looking at uh, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs recently, which is very old. I think it was from the 60s. And uh, we all know that our kids need their basic needs met before they can be successful. They have to feel safe. They have to feel secure. They can't be hungry. These are things that we know. Um, but what I had forgotten, or maybe never knew, is that within their hierarchy of needs, as you move up that ladder, you hit belonging before you hit cognitive engagement, and way before you hit meeting your highest potential. So um, I just think that that's something we really have to keep in mind. And uh, Sean McCormick, actually, we were talking about this the other day, and he shared something he saw online that said, you have to Maslow before you can bloom, which I thought was great. Honestly, it was 36 hours later before I was like, oh, Bloom's text. Was it wasn't just a floral reference. There was something more to that. Yeah, but I'm going to remember that. In fact, I almost told him why I did. I said, look at that as a tattoo. But I, well, probably. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Let me know if you're interested. We can do that later. <laughs> All right. On the screen is a picture of an airplane. Parents with kids that are very different feel out of place almost everywhere. It's not unique to IEP meetings, obviously. This Christmas, our family traveled from Texas back to Washington to visit our family and friends. And um, we were very nervous about putting Eddie on an airplane. Um, and the, this story makes me cry, so <laughs> but we'll see, I'll get through it. Um, so we sat down in our seat and we're getting settled, and the, uh, the flight attendant came over to our row, and she introduced herself to James and I and to Eddie. And then she leaned down right in my face, looked me in the eye, and she said, every attendant on this flight knows what seat your son is in. In the event of an emergency, we will get to him as fast as we can in case you're unable to assist. And she stood up and walked off and uh, did this. I started crying. And I was like, you're an idiot. Like, she's just doing her job. Why is this, why is this so powerful, this moment? Um, and, and I've thought about this moment a lot because it took me four months to even say this out loud, this story. Isn't that insane? Like, that it, 
bothered me that much. Um, and at first I thought it was because she said she had our back. And so few people offer that for us, for Eddie. Like that we're gonna, if something happens to you two, we've got it. Like what a rare gift. I mean, of course, it's an airplane. What could she do? But <laughs> it was a thought that counts. But her, the way that they had prepared for us, not just like, hey, thanks for being here, you know? Um, but that they, they had a discussion. Like, of course there's kids like Eddie that are going to be on our plane. It just made us feel like we belong there as much as anybody else. And having that sense of belonging um, it means a lot, even on an airplane. I mean, it, it just speaks to how rare it is. And the, re but the reason that I realized I had to become a TBI was that there was, um, it was very obvious there was an, an inequity in services for our kids. More so when you live in a rural area, like way more so. And so I, I, we lived in Montana and we'd been through a few TBIs just because of they'd taken different jobs and some shifting. Um, and the consistency just wasn't there for me to feel like I had the information I needed to be a good mom for Eddie. And so, uh, so I decided to go back to school. And I, the first day at Portland State, I walked into that room and after just maybe an hour, maybe not even that long, I was like, these are my people, like just like you guys are. It was just this sense that we were all there for totally different reasons, but come together with this like shared passion for educating such a unique population. And, um, and the more I've looked into this difference in the idea between belonging and inclusion, um, the more that I've seen the definitions is that you feel like you belong when you can contribute and you can add value. And so that's what I felt like with the Portland State group, partly because I was a parent um, of a child that was blind, and that was not, you know, Casey, one of these other gals, she was a parent too, but we, we all brought something to the table from our own backgrounds that allowed us uh, opportunities to learn from each other, and we all felt like we could contribute to our own work, really. So here comes another question. I want you to think about your earlier reflection and the group that came to mind that brought you joy. Let me know if through discussion, knowledge, encouragement, or some other way, you add value and contribute. All right, so I'll tell you that within my Portland State cohort, I felt like I added value and that I belonged, but I did not feel like a leader. So we're gonna talk about leadership a little bit. Here's another writing activity, all right. I want you to briefly write down or type two ways you provide leadership within your current work. Let me know if words like training, teaching, or providing professional development showed up. Let me know if you use words like directing, guiding, or delegating. Okay, on the screen is a Wordle, a word cloud. It's called a Wordle. Um, these are things we use to collect data, uh, and um, so there's a whole bunch of words up there. Some are a lot bigger than the other words, and the biggest words show you that one word showed up a lot more than the other words in this activity. Now, if you're wondering if I just pulled you all, no, I'm not that good. That'd be great, though. Um, but what happened was I did this activity with my outreach department, 
because I wanted to emphasize that we all take on different leadership responsibilities in all of our work, regardless of what your title is or what you spend most of your day doing. Um, and so what was surprising to me, look at the biggest word, listen. When I asked them how they provide leadership, I pulled just the action words out of their statements, and the biggest word was listen, followed by help. Listen and help. So let me know if some form of listening showed up in the ways you provide leadership. Let me know if you think the act of listening helps other people feel a sense of belonging in our work or in our mission. So if, I, if we recognize that leadership can be demonstrated in a variety of ways, you know, I think we can agree that anybody can be a leader, right? consultation report that somebody in my department had written and um, I didn't actually tell him I was going to read this but his sister's in the audience <laughs> so you can tell him that I'm stealing from his report yeah okay so um, so this is what it was and and I'll tell you again when I read this I cried the first time I read it but because when I was reading through the report it was a, it sounded like a, it could have been Eddie like same age same diagnosis same kind of behavior concerns, and it was just like reading a report on Eddie. And then I came to the recommendation section, and I read this paragraph. Provide opportunities for Sam to experience leadership. This will greatly enhance his self-confidence. One way is to give him a special duty in the classroom or within a group project that is well within his skill set and allow him to practice this role on a regular basis. Another strategy could be to give him a position of responsibility with younger children, perhaps a peer buddy in a pre-K or kinder class. This should be closely monitored to ensure that Sam is performing as a leader rather than a follower. Listen to that first sentence again. Provide opportunities for Sam to experience leadership. What a cool thing to write into a report! I've never done it, but I'm going to always do it now for every kid! <laughs> And I'll talk about how, what that could look like. But think about Eddie's second band experience having a solo. That was a leadership opportunity, right? Like he got to initiate that when it was his turn to go. So of course, after reading this, I had to go, you know, go to his school and find a way to sneak it into uh, some sort of meeting. Remember when I was talking about the concept of serve and return and how that's how you build connections in your brain, and you can grow from that. Um, so for me, serving and returning, being having opportunities to serve information out in the world and have people act on that is leadership. It's initiating interaction. It's it's taking, you know, it's it's making things happen for yourself without somebody else starting the process. So what could that look like for some of our highest need students? So, for those familiar with tactile symbols, let me know if a student handing you a symbol would count as a serve. Yeah. 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 I think so too. Whew, that could have got scary. Okay. <laughs> what about a student in a little room engaged in active learning? That yeah, that hits some shiny beads. Is that a serve? Yeah. And how? I mean, there's so many ways we can return that. 
as, as educators or families, we could say, you know, oh, you hit the beads, wow, that's so great, or, you know, touch the beads at the same time so that your hands are on them at the same time. You know, there's so many ways we can return that and encourage that. What about kids that just have simple vocalizations? Um, let's practice. Okay, I'll serve and you return. So, kiddo that might just say, ah, ah, hi, hi, or Eddie's favorite, woohoo! Woohoo! Yeah, see? I'm feeling the neurons firing already. So, it's about getting a chance to initiate. And let me know if you think by engaging in this way or teaching peers how to engage with our kids, they may feel a greater sense of belonging. WSSD Outreach from 2017-2018. Alright, so as professionals, we need opportunities to serve and return ourselves, right? So um, this is a group that does that. They do this. They, and I'm going to tell you how they do it. But when you work in a community of, of educators or in any sort of a workplace, and there's equal opportunities for serving and returning um, information, it's so rewarding. So why does it matter? Okay, here's the mission of the Texas School for the Blind. So TSBBI will serve as a leading center of expertise and supports, working in partnership with schools, families, and organizations to improve educational outcomes for students who are blind or visually impaired, including those with deaf blindness or additional disabilities. So imagine, imagine this. Being an agency or a school where not only employees believed in your mission, but so did community, community members, families, outside agencies, employers, and more. Imagine if they felt like they truly belonged to our work and had an active part in our mission. Think about what that could do for students, and what about for adults that we serve. So if you go back to my four points that made me feel a sense of belonging and like a leader, we can do that with almost anybody. And we don't have to stay within the world of blindness. We do because it's preaching to the choir, it's safe, it's people that share our mission and our work. But think about if we could get everybody on board with our mission and our work, and then you know, that's like my favorite thing is to preaching to, to those outside of our choir and then getting them to join, right? It's just great. So, um, so this is why it matters, is that we have to engage as many people we can in the work of our kids. And that means seeking out opinions that might not come from us and respecting it, maybe when we don't agree, and then finding ways to make time so we can have continued conversations that will improve outcomes for our kids. Alright, here's a picture from last year's AERP and WAER when we won second place in the goalball tournament. <laughs> this is a group that our board, our AER board, always from the beginning gave me a sense of belonging. And so, um, and that happened through my own engagement. It wasn't because AER did something for me that was like, oh, that's great, I feel like really important to this organization. No, it's because I got engaged, and so through that, AER became more engaged in me, which gave me so many opportunities to network and just to meet a lot of new professionals that I wouldn't have ever met. So here's the mission of AER. 
which is to serve and empower professionals to deliver standards-based practices that lead to improved educational and rehabilitative outcomes for individuals with visual impairment and blindness. So as AER president, I'm kind of expected to give a plug, so, but I do truly feel like this, is, this organization is a really important aspect of our field. Um, what I've learned since just joining the, the national board in July, or which wasn't very long ago, is that together we make decisions for the rest of us. And we can sometimes change the focus and the direction we are headed as educators and within the rehabilitation field. And the people in the AER club make a difference. And I really think all of us should be a part of that. So I'm going to do an activity with you really quick. Now you're all laughing because this is insane. Um, but I obviously didn't invent this, but I implemented it. Well, I implement it all the time. In fact, I did three times before I got up here. Okay, so we all have strengths, but they take courage to engage sometimes. So I want everybody to stand up. Get to stand up. Okay. I want you to stand up as straight as you can. And I don't do yoga, but I feel like this is what people do in yoga. Oh, my lungs are not compressed. Okay, and then put your hands on your hips like a superhero, standing up as tall as you can, and look to your right shoulder, and then gaze up, and slightly, and pretend like you're staring off into the distance. And don't skip on that, it matters, it matters. And take a deep breath. Doesn't that feel amazing? It totally does. I've already spent so many good times with a few of you in the last couple days, and I hope that we'll get, I can catch up with as many of you as I can. Um, so thank you. Enjoy the rest of your conference. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu. 